Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. A good place to end up on a Sunday morning. Amen? My message this morning is titled, The Choices We Make and Their Consequences. First, I'm going to give you a definition of choice. Not that you need one, but I'm going to give you one. Choice consists of the mental process of thinking of the merits of multiple options and selecting one of them for action. See, you never knew how complicated it was to choose. Okay? Just think about that. Some simple examples include whether to get up in the morning or go back to sleep. Safe to say most, if not all of us, hopefully, got up. You're awake. Or selecting a given route for a journey. More complex examples, often often decisions that can affect what a person thinks or their core beliefs, including choosing a way of life, religious affiliation, or political position. That's from the dictionary. But it's pretty amazing because We make a multitude of choices daily. I think if we counted them up, we'd be surprised how many and how many different things are involved. But today we're going to talk about spiritual choices. Not everyday choices, but the spiritual choices in our life and how that affects us and can affect us for eternity. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For without you, Lord Jesus, what would our lives be? They'd simply be a train wreck at best and non-existent at worst. But you loved us with such an amazing love that you rescued us, you redeemed us, you set us free. You put a new song in our mouth, a song of worship and praise to you and your heavenly Father. So we thank you this morning, and we just ask for your guidance, your instruction. Let everyone be open to hearing what the Word of God says, and just help us to find something to apply in our lives for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. The text this morning, if you turn to me, is the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15. It's almost at the end of the book of Joshua. Again, that's Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. 
safe to say made the right choice. We can be okay here? Okay. We're going to ask a series of questions this morning. The first, pretty basic, but we're going to ask it anyway. Why do we have the ability to choose? Simply because in the beginning, starting with Adam and Eve, God gave it to us. And it's continued up to this day. We have free will. We have the right to choose whatever. Second question. What do our spiritual choices determine in our life? Ultimately, our future. But our present lives are also affected by our spiritual choices. In this present life, there is such a contrast between knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and just knowing about him. It simply is night or day. Life with Christ is a life of joy and peace. Remember what Christ said to us in the book of John. I came that they might have life. And have it abundantly. It is Jesus Christ's desire that we enjoy life here according to his will as well as in eternity. But we've been given the empowerment from our Savior to do his will. That's his desire. However, life without Christ, Christ excuse me, life without Christ is in the state of being lost. Before we came to know him, or if you're here this morning, spiritually speaking, if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, you are lost. You're empty, constantly in need of temporary fulfillment, and never really attaining it. We can all relate to that. We can all remember before we were saved what life was like. It was a course of events that drove us to Calvary, that drove us to the Savior. Apart from him, there is no true peace. Apart from him, there is no true contentment and happiness. There is no true hope without Christ. Any other hope, spiritually speaking, apart from Jesus Christ, is false. The life to come will be spent in one of two places. That's it. Heaven or hell. Either eternal life in heaven, revelations, don't turn to it, 21, verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds pretty darn good. Other option, hell. Matthew thirteen fifty two, And will throw them in the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> now, you have to understand what that description means. 
there will be weeping. There will be a sense of sorrow because every and all souls in hell will be in eternal darkness. You hear these turkeys, forgive me, that sit around and say, I'm just going to be with my buddies and we're going to have this big party in hell. We're going to raise some hell. Okay, not going to happen. Every person who has passed into hell immediately realizes what a horrific mistake they have made. Gnashing means, have you ever been in an instance, uh, I know mothers have with childbirth, many of us have had something break, or, or, or we've been in a terrific accident where you just grit your teeth from the pain and the shock of it. That's the way it is in eternal torment forever. Either no tears and joy and peace forever or torment and agony forever. You would think that would be a pretty easy choice. But what happens? People say, oh, I just don't believe the way you do. I think there's many ways to God. God is love. Man, I heard one on the radio the other night where this woman was being interviewed by this guy. And she's talking about her last life and what was going on in it. Okay, these are supposed to be the intellectual people. Does that sound like the height of intellectualism? I'm, I'm working now regard, and, and, and I'm paying off part of my F last life. It's nonsense. It's simply nonsense. But you know what God says about it in Proverbs? There's a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. It doesn't matter what we want to believe contrary to God. Its end is in death and hell. There's not a second option. One or the other, heaven or hell. Third question. How do our choices influence our life? Do we let our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ influence us in our life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Bam, that's it. He lays it out, doesn't he, for us? That is when Jesus Christ is the influence in our choices. A quote. A Christian should be a striking likeness of Jesus Christ. You have read the life of Christ, beautifully written. But the best life of Christ is his living biography written out in the words and actions of his people. Charles Spurgeon. Another quote. God has given us wisdom. We are to use it according to his will. We are never to rely upon it apart from the Holy Spirit. When we allow our flesh, this world, and its ways to influence the wisdom God has given us, it is a recipe for disaster. 
And Sylvia's message on Thursday showed one of the most supreme examples of letting this present world and the things of this world get involved in the wisdom. And that was the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth, Solomon. No one before, no one and no one since has ever been as wise as Solomon. And yet, when you take all that wisdom and you influx the world, it's a recipe for disaster. We must walk close to Christ and guard against worldly pride and arrogance that can slip into our lives so easily. Once pride takes hold in the life of a Christian, you will become carnal. God says it. We start to see ourselves as superior. Maybe because of our intellect, intellect, excuse me, appearance, abilities, accomplishments or income or something else. But we become inflated with ourselves. Then we've lost the ability to be humble and we start relying on our own will. And then this happens to the Christian. You start to act like a Christian instead of living like one. There is a big difference. If we use and let our choices be made by this present world, remember one thing. Ephesians 2.2 says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, the devil. You give God an inroad into your life when you choose to get involved in the world and its ways. And once the devil gets a hold on your life, you will become dull to the things of God because the Holy Spirit that resides in every born-again believer, and right now I'm talking to born-again believers. I'm not talking to those who are not. The Spirit of God resides in us. But if we do this, the Spirit of God is quenched. No longer is there any need to be separated in our mind from the world or its ways. We lose the ability to to. To look correctly at our situation and our circumstances. The evaluation of your spiritual condition becomes yourself. Not God. Not the elders in your church. Not the leaders. Yourself. You replace and you decide how things are going. There are those that let worldly accomplishments gauge the level of spirituality in their lives. There is this movement. It's called maybe the doctrine of prosperity. Man, there's these TV preachers that are preaching it every day. They link prosperity to spirituality. There is none. The word of God preaches no such thing. But people start relying on what they do and how much they've accomplished 
as a gauge that God's with them and everything's okay. I'm sorry. There are Christians in parts of the world that live in torment and agony and tribulation and never have any prosperity that are rock solid with the Lord. That's the gauge. How are we with Jesus Christ? And so our own will takes charge. But God says this in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father. But it's from the world. We become easily seduced by the people, place, and things of this world when we go off alone without Christ. It's us and the influences of this world. A fourth question to ask. How do these choices help us or hurt us? Are the choices God's will for the Christian? This should be printed in our brain. Should be like a neon light. What we're going to get involved in, is this God's will for us? Second, are we leading an obedient life with Christ? Do we bathe our choices in prayer? And yet, how often are we in prayer? Remember, prayer is not just the form of Psalm 23. Prayer is our conversations with our God that should be coming, that should happen continually throughout our day. But yet, how often do we pray? Do we honestly want his perfect will and his choices in everything in our lives? You've got to be honest. With yourself. Do we seek for major, especially major choices, but not necessarily, but especially major choices. Do we seek godly counsel or do we have a tendency to resist it? Or are our choices driven by pride and arrogance? Are our choices, are they becoming influenced by this present world? What are some signs we should look for if this is starting to take place in our life? We become clever rather than repentant. We are no longer remorseful, just kind of sorry for our circumstances. The concept that we have sinned against God just isn't really quite happening. We also become good at judging others rather than ourselves. We can become so dull with sin in our lives that we have quenched the Holy Spirit that we don't even realize 
again, that we're acting out our Christian life rather than literally living one. We become rebellious and we become unteachable. The fifth question I want to ask you this morning. What are our passions in life? Do they include Christ? And is he supreme in our decisions? Because either our choices keep us with Christ or they keep us away from Christ. It's one or the other. If they keep us with Christ... We have a rich life and we're completely dependent on Christ. And believe me, that's his plan. There is no other plan for a Christian. We are to be totally and completely dependent upon the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, sovereign God. Makes sense, doesn't it? A quote. Christ is not valued at all. Unless he is valued above all. St. Augustine. A peaceful and joyful life is what we have with Christ, no matter what our circumstances, situations, or troubles. Because we have learned to overcome with Christ. He helps us through things. We have a useful life for the master. Another quote. It has been said that a Christian is one who believes what Christ believes and hates what Christ hates and loves what Christ loves. A hopeful life is looking and spending eternity With Christ. How often do we think about that? How often do we think about um, where we're going to end up? Because I'm telling you, nothing can pull you out of it quicker than that. Because God says our life here. In comparison to eternity with him, our life here is but a breath. We have guests from Pennsylvania. Believe me, they know what cold is in the winter. Right? Okay. Or maybe you've gone up to the snow in the Sierras. When it's really cold, you see your breath. How long does that last? Not very long. And yet this life, God says... Don't get too tied up in it. Don't get too agonizing over it because pretty soon it's been gone. And in one trillion years from now, those of us who know him will just be enjoying life. Worshiping him. And life will be good. The second, our choices can move us away from Christ. And then, you don't ever really have peace 
You look for it. You try and manufacture it. You try and create it, but you don't have it. Because you're just playing the Christian life. You're just going through the motions. We become driven by our own selfish desires and lusts. You yearn for the next experience and you become driven by your sins. Increased hunger for the things of this world and yet never satisfied. Unhappy with life. Nothing is good enough. Become discontent. Become grumpy. There is nothing worse than seeing a Christian who's unhappy. You see, that's different than having sorrow in the midst of a trial. Totally different. That person has peace. That person has Christ to hold them through their trial. But there may be sorrow. This is somebody who's just not happy. This is a person dissatisfied with life. And as you look at their performance, you would just never believe they're even a Christian. Nothing is good enough. There is little or no interest in the things of God anymore. Another quote. Some people use Christianity like a bus. They ride it only when it's going their way. God's word makes us uncomfortable, but no longer convicts us. That is a sad place to end up as a Christian. You have to agree with me. I'm thankful when immediately God convicts me of something. Because that means I am still walking with him. He is still communicating with him. And I can reconcile that and again have that vitality in my life. The carnal Christian isn't there anymore. Thoughts of spending eternity with Jesus Christ never enters their mind anymore. Never. It's just not part of their interest. So in conclusion, I would ask you now that you just bend your heads and close your eyes. And start asking the question, who are we serving today? Is it ourselves, our flesh, and this world we're actually serving? Or is it Jesus Christ whom we serve? The choice is ours. The choices we've made tell us where we're at. Which is it? And does our answer leave us peaceful or uncomfortable this morning based on the scriptures? Back to heaven and hell for a moment. A couple of quotes. The rich young ruler in his famous interview with Christ asked the right question. Asked the right person. Received the right answer but made the wrong 
choice. Attributed to Billy Graham. Another quote titled Loss. The loss of wealth is much. The loss of health is more. But the loss of Christ is such a loss that no one can restore. So, with eyes closed, heads bowed, I urge you to choose Christ today. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, please make sure you are totally his. And then always be available to him. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know him, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here a while, and the realization is starting to hit you that you're really not with the redeemed. If you raise your hand, I will pray for you. And if you're here this morning as a Christian and you found yourself a little or possibly more lacking and you would like prayer, yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Please go ahead and raise your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I will pray for you. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. Yes. Yes, I see your hand. Because there's nothing better than to be right with God. There's nothing better to restore that joy and that peace and experience that love again. And just take what he wants to give you and say, that's enough for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We just ask now that you would just bless each and every one here. Be with those who raise their hand. And if there's anyone here that wants to talk afterwards about their salvation, uh, let them know there are people here who care about them. And we'd be happy to talk to them. Because there's only one place to end up, Lord, and that's with you in heaven. And so we just thank you now and we praise you in your name. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.